Hello and welcome to episode 9 of AngelCast with your hosts Adam Cunis, Alex Lai and Matt Hinton. Um, this week uh, in Match Play uh, we're going to be talking about how the meta has changed, or at least our perception of it, in uh, 2018, particularly since the advent of um, AOS 2, or hashtag new AOS, depending on who you were following that <laughs> week, um, uh, with particular reference to kind of the main events in the UK um, culminating in Krim Bobo, and thanks so much to those guys for running that event. I had the best time, despite my generalship and prediction of the meta, <laughs> being somewhat lacking, shall we say. Yeah. Uh, so I that's needed ma- to listen to this episode about meta. I, d- I did, yes, yeah. and I also needed to not be completely sold by the last episode when we talked about the meta, True. because it moved quicker than I did. Yeah. Um, that's matched. Cool, so after we've all got over the fact that Adam was wrong, um, <laughs> we're going to talk about narrative. Uh, and we're actually going to go back and talk about Raw uh, 2018, sorry. We're also yeah, back to, talk to the about, future we're talk also, about Raw yeah. 2019. Uh, we're also going to talk about Raw 2019, um, or at least how much we're looking forward to it. And that is because, as you know, in last episode, unfortunately, that um, recording was lost. So we are bringing you that content now. Um, and yeah, that will, that will form our last narrative section of this year. Yep. Uh, so then, open play. We're gonna we're gonna leave the Soundmar Studios and go over to an interview uh, with me and Andy Burton, one of our uh, Angel Wargamers, uh, where we talk about big conventions, uh, mostly talking about Adepticon, which Andy Ooh. went to this year. Uh, tickets have just gone on sale for New Adepticon, and I think sold out at the AOS GT in minutes. Is that the one in Chicago? Yes. Chicago. So, yeah, we're going to talk about like how you can get the best out of the the convention experience and what to do uh, while you're there. Awesome. So uh, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back at you with match play. Hey, welcome to Match Play. Uh, today, we thought we'd sort of round out the year, 2018, with our thoughts on what's been going on with AOS 2. And yeah. what a year it's been. Yeah, I mean, you know, I know so much about Match Play. Can you just shut up now? You've played at least 10 games of it's Match true, Play actually, in no, AOS I, 2. I, I, can't, so, I can't hide behind that veneer anymore. You it's can't. True. If you lose games of the team events, it's entirely your bad general shit. Listen, I am trying to publicly declare on this podcast <laughs> that if I lose, it's not my fault because I'm new. Yeah, which is why we're going to throw you under the bus. Yeah, yeah it's true, actually. It's I didn't totally deserve that. It's hard to throw Sylvaneth under the bus. It's true. But they break the bus. Anyway, so... Stormy. We were, we were thinking about sort of starting with when AOS 2 dropped, thinking about how the meta shifted into AOS Summoning. 2. Yeah, main one of the major changes that everyone thought would make a massive difference, as well as the malign sorcery stuff. Yep. Um, turns out, I, I think, didn't really have a massive impact. Mm, I think the there's, spells... No, there's, the spells there's one... But summoning did. Summoning had a big change. No, but I think, sorry, there's one spell. Cogs has made a difference. Yeah, mm. but I don't think I don't think makes anything go crazy. It's just made games quicker. Yeah, it's made it's one of the things. It's I, made out. It's made. I mean, everyone with Alpha Strike lists went. Yeah, I want that. So nobody's basically like. There's a couple of crazy portal hand of dust combos, things like that. But I mean, like, on, on the whole, I think it's okay. I think, yeah, yeah, I, just out psych them. Uh, mm. Would you would you say arguably thirty inch casting was probably bigger than the than the uh, dispelling the, the, dispelling? So, uh, th- sorry, 30, 30 inch dispelling was probably yeah. bigger 
it's it's pretty big. It makes it a little bit more interactive. I'm not sure it's my favorite change, but anyway, let's it stick on. It suddenly changes list selection. You yeah, can it's see true. more wizards in typically non-casting armies. It's yeah. more accessible to actually unbind stuff. But. Yeah. So, uh, Bobo, what actually you went, didn't you, Adam? Yeah. yeah. Um, so what was what was going on with brand new it was AOS two? Stream two? And everything. I was on oh, stream yeah. game one. Bobo, I guess, was one of the first one of the first kind of big uh, singles events in AOS two back on the twenty eighth and twenty ninth of July two thousand eighteen. I was running on a Draconis, and um, no one was really ready for the big hard hitting stuff. Destruction did better than you might think. Flesh eater courts were up there. Uh, me and Pete had a lot of dragons flying about. Oh yeah, um, yeah. It was the old Draconis stuff, wasn't it? Yeah, and there was just a lot what of. What was the subtle difference? Is it three dragons versus two versus more dragon blades? No, he had four. Four versus three. Yeah, and yeah. I had thirty dragon blades, and he had fifteen, and he had a load of endless spells for his archmage on dragon, um, and he had uh, doppelganger, quicksilver, and a naked dragon, so he could basically do three dragons in a row. But overall, both of you did I mean, pretty well. Oh, and... that's a good point new artifacts that's the huge change for me yeah the, having all of those available and everyone's artifacts. just sort of accepted that yeah, yeah you can have whatever you want and be, uh, i feel like that's bigger than endless spells yeah actually that's certainly that. being bigger than i endless think we spells. feel like the endless spells because they're so realm based they felt like they should be a big thing but actually it's the realm artifacts for me yeah sure yeah, so absolutely. in general so, do you think bobo was won by or the the Bobo main had very placings. different lists to Six Nations just a couple of weeks before. Six um, Nations, they did fix a couple of things, though. To absolutely. Well, that's what yeah. I mean. So Bobo mm -hmm. was kind of the first reaction to, here's a new thing. All right, this this is how we make sense of it. Um, the big thing about Bobo as well, the experiment with um, rolling to take the first turn um, yeah, was, big change. was really interesting. And I'm kind of sad they didn't use that again for... Uh, Krim Bobo, I think there's some legs for events having that, even if it's a plus one if you outdrop your opponent, or um, yep. plus one for each drop you out deploy them by, would still make for an interesting Yeah, that's game. what I've always liked. So next um, tournament on the calendar was the big one. Uh, Blackout? Blackout was the next big one, where Tomlin uh, was adding added in all of the realm rules for the yes, first time. Yes, because yeah, Bobo, as far as I recall, didn't have realm room rules, or at least they were really uh, limited I don't back. think they included them I don't at think all. they do in realm rules is in realm skate pieces and realm yeah, spells command yeah, abilities command and spells and, stuff and like all, all of the stuff was all included at Blackout yeah. literally I mean, everything it's, it's weird, everything. Isn't it, how rules so did Nagash win uh, let me just have a look at that um, it was I... actually Ben Johnson took a Blackout home with Nighthorn um, okay uh, this was Simon Froley came second with Daughters of Cain Daughters of Cain are going to come up oh yeah um I suppose that's early days. People didn't know what Nighthorn do. Yeah. Ben's a very good player as well. Um, yeah. So I think this was the start of the daughters, of the daughters winning streak. Or we the, can say that Simon yeah. began the winning streak of yeah. the daughters. Yeah, yeah where well, they they just yeah. started. We'll we'll talk about it in a sec, but they're going to dominate the tournament scene yeah. for the next kind of four months. And you got some familiar players. It, yeah, I mean, of course, all the good players also do By, well. Byron, but, Byron and Les, are of course. Up, but up in there. general, this is where we had the real combat meta start. Is what we're talking about the big big blocks of hordes of infantry yep. and no shooting shooting's basically just disappeared shooting's disappeared at this point yeah like in, so yeah, fast in, after in AOS 2 july dropped. august yeah um, like almost uh, almost instantly disappeared which, off which is interesting because it does make you think that that is literally the hard counter to where the meta left off in the previous edition right uh yeah in the previous edition it was very it was order very, gun line uh, was gun lines. order gun line yeah yeah uh, which brings us on, I think the next kind of major event in terms of the meta shift was Eggs. Um, this really saw Daughters of Cain consolidate a position. Uh, Tom, Tom Maudley took 
yeah. uh, the win there. Um, you've got Deepkin up high as well. It's still a relatively new release, and I mean, you experienced that they'd definitely been pointed and written for AOS too, so they were a bit, bit of a yeah. wild card back in the summer with stuff like the LGT and so forth. Yep. Um, particularly with that slow release schedule, there was a lot of War Scrolls available, but in terms of miniatures... Yeah, it was you six weeks or so. Yeah. It was crazy. From my understanding, does Daughters of Cain have any uh, have access to any cyclical? Um, what's the word I'm looking for? No idea. So you know how Deep can have a wheel that turns yeah. that influences. Oh, a, uh, uh, yeah. No, they don't. They they just get better and better as the battle carries on. Right. So what I'm so. suggesting is, I think that this is a new. This is certainly something that started to appear in armies recently, starting with Nurgle moving into. Yes, but Nurgle's a long time ago now. Yeah, but but even so, what, what not else that is long seen? in terms of the release schedule. It's only mm. the third army ago, I think. Yeah, precisely. Right. Yeah. yeah. And Nurgle's. But I mean, deep beasts have happened since, and they've beasts. got us. I don't know. I haven't read the beasts. Beasts but... don't have that. Well, so they might. Well, no, the, no, the Hearthstone does cyclical yeah, things. It no, it just gets bigger each turn. Yeah, but still, it's still the same as. This yeah. is this is my point. You've got abilities to start to stack or that yeah. um, or that shift as the as the game moves on. Personally, yeah. I hate it. I think it's idiotic. Yeah, I think they're pretty different. But you're right. It I, does exist. But I, what I'm saying is, I think this is absolutely influenced the, the what you know. Well, I think there's there's just thinking. limited ways in which your allegiance can affect the game, and that's one of the ones that they're using. Like have something that changes each turn. Yeah, I think it's, it's frustrating uh, for players who haven't who haven't played had a new against book. it before and haven't had a new book. Yeah, well. yeah. So and it is kind of like the Wheel of Nurgle. You got to learn seven things. It's like, hey, this could happen, thing. and that's seven things for that army, and then you've got Deepkin, and that's five things that you need to learn. And you need to know the order, and you need to know that there's a character that flips the order. I think it's yeah, it's, it's an, like uh, check out my Twitter. There's a thing Ming tweeted recently about Magic the Gathering, which is the overcomplication of the game, and then Wizards of the Coast trying to strip it back down again because it's making something overly competitive is completely exclusionary for new players and I don't like it this is kind of my point around the the, the realm spells and just don't, well, anything to do with the, the you know the realm artifacts as well rules bloat always ad, is advantageous to those mm-hmm. who are willing to pay more attention to um, well you know to the volume of material as it's opposed time to and money it's time and money it's time, it's time, yeah exactly yeah it's like a, you know, any project um, yeah the next kind of big one I guess was space hammer GT um, yeah that was back 22nd of September. This was our very own Donal's, like, yeah. crowning glory. I mean, you were talking about Horde. I mean, yeah. I'd call it Donal matter. Yeah, I, um, I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, I guess, just, I guess that you would not. Because I'm mean to Donal. Yeah, um, Colin Cochrane took that out with... Wasn't he called a with Grot... Daughters. Was, daughters. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Donal was called Grot Jesus on Twitter. He was. Yeah. I'm going to edit that out. You should edit that out. Okay, yeah, what are you going to put in its place? Anything. Yeah. Beep. Silence. <laughs> just... Tonal was just gold. Can you put jingle bells in there instead? I can try. Yeah, okay. um, yeah so daughter's daughter's taking that one as well, and that's like, that's two consecutive massive events, and they're coming second at the event prior to that. Uh, yeah, we've got massed infantry there, inherent buffs within the army, as Alex was saying, stuff that improves within. So the So this game. is months, and just nobody has come up with a counter to the daughter's list, and they're all relatively similar. Yeah. I oh, felt that I had. Sorry, with yeah, I was going to say there was quite a public declaration yeah. by somebody in this room that he felt he had written that. that I counter. won four games on the trot against them and haven't been able to replicate that so I don't know if it was just I was mm-hmm. in a good zone and had figured out the scenarios people were playing yep. what I suspected actually was was when the realm spells and stuff were coming in I wasn't getting onto the tables where daughters were but you've also touched on an interesting point and that is the manner in which you win scenarios changed as well for AOS 2 sure but yeah. I didn't play against daughters in AOS but, 1 right, the meta's already like shifted on towards these big these big blocks making a big difference Yeah, um, and I just don't think I really saw that 
that stop throughout all of AOS two. Yeah. Like, what was what was the next big tournament? The next big tournament was um well. The next tournament we're talking about is Angel Call, which obviously Daughters of Cain took out with Ben Saba. And then yep. the following weekend, yeah, that's fair. GT Final, which was yep. taken out by Ben Saba with Daughters of Cain. Yep. So we've got, we've got three, arguably four, relatively major events. I talk about Angel Call as being major, A, because it's ours, but also because we had a lot of top players. Yeah, I think the standard was, was very high for us. I feel like, I feel so like you, had, mentioning. you had a lot of high players there that were looking to perform with the GT anyway, right? So, yep. you know. Yeah, it's one of the things we knew when it was kind of decided it would yeah, be the week before deliberate. the GT is people are going to use it as a testing ground. So, um, so Daughters, that's kind of four events over a couple of months, just untouchable, as well as high placings elsewhere. Um, they're just so consistent. They're so solid. There's not really much with the new way that like Inspiring Presence is working and all heroes having command abilities and the little hags being super cheap and really hard to kill. There yeah. just wasn't really a place that they could step a foot wrong. Do you know what that the, the way that inspiring presence has changed uh, keeps catching me out in my games actually because I mm -hmm. keep forgetting that it's not a, a you know just like a hero phase thing. No, it's at and the start actually, of the battleshock phase, which makes a big difference to which is and like Donald's list stuff. You yeah. can't just commit to killing the unit that they haven't put inspiring presence on anymore. And if yeah. you're it's the same, if you've got two units of thirty witches, and if they're suddenly both fine. Precisely, and if you're dropping down with within the multiple battalions as well and getting those extra command points, you, you're 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 keeping those units around almost indefinitely. Yeah. Yeah. So they they were just really solid for a really long time. They've got some super good artifacts from the from the malign sorcery, but you know, at the end of the day they're not really taking any crazy advantages from AOS two. They're just were the, the king of that combat meta mm. yeah okay. um, I mean they are perhaps underpointed um, oh, yeah, yeah certainly but that's what makes them the king yeah, yeah I mean you're, you're going to see a point shift in G, in the next GHB I would say yeah. so, if not sooner indeed so um, the, the final yeah, event yeah, that yeah. we're is it Crimbobo is the next well, thing? Well, in terms of big events, uh, we have to give a shout out to Blood and Glory. Um, oh yeah, of course. Third yes, of November. Was actually, third yeah. of November. Um, so this, this is the first one where there's actually a bit of a shift away from Daughters being top dog. Although yes. I will caveat that they had three Daughters armies within the top ten finishings. Yes, and, and I think this and is like, the final finishings now? Table one and two, oh no one knows. Table one and <laughs> two in, into the last round both had a Daughters player on and they both lost. So, yeah. I mean, they were right in and to the end but Blood and Glory was so very they could much have taken it. yeah, yeah and you've got very good players placed one and two as well with yeah. Ross Beale and Craig Nav Navnar but it was well. absolutely yeah. deaths deaths meta Blood and Glory death meta it was completely mm. like just taught, like looking at the number of death players that were at that event it was just absurd and the amount and then like as we mentioned in the previous podcast all of them being sacros sacrament sacrosanct uh, sacrament sacrosanct is stormcast legion of sacrament is the one that gives you plus one to cast yes the and arcan and arcan and, so you're yeah. crazy to cast and then you've got six bonus spells and then you're doing your command points to get all your stuff back and everyone by this point has finished painting up all of their crazy night horn that came in the starter set and apparently works with legions of nagash even though it definitely definitely shouldn't be in there it's because GW about a point of restocked all that hex wraith paint yeah. wash that they sold out of it's the worst yeah. paint. So I think this is where it really shifted and shifted and like everyone has suddenly finished their death armies. And I think since that point it's shifted a lot. I mean, um, Blood and Glory brings us up to the last episode we recorded um, yeah. when we were talking with Owen about how powerful death is at the moment. Yeah, and actually um, Owen's a good example because Owen 
hadn't really finished his death army before blood and glory he took like some stuff at angel core but it wasn't the really strong stuff and he hadn't got the night haunt in there yet and he bought the reapers or he bought the reapers yeah. like at angel core yeah there's a tweet so he's that. he's yeah. exactly <laughs> he's exactly like the people that are that were playing death before or had a death army somewhere around and just used this like new night haunt stuff and all of the new toys and like nagash or arcan or whatever was turning up to really push that to the absolute next level so yeah i think i think blood and glory really showed us that yeah it was still a combat meta but actually casters yeah casters yeah, on top magic, of that magic's back in a big way isn't it magic so, was massively there um, i think I which think, i think it was lacking in aos one which was a shame because it was always one yeah. of the most flavorable parts of any fantasy game anyway i yep. agree i like matt's idea so, about having a miscast table however yeah, I'm going to put a miscast fun. table into the doubles event that we're sorting out. So whenever you roll a 12 or higher on your cast... <laughs> Do you mean Perils of the Warp? No. No. I'm not playing 40k. I know. I, know. I just today. wanted to see if Matt knew what the warp I, was. I, uh, it's like... No, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I could have made up something. But yeah, you do. Is it's it like a box cast around? You, you had an Eldar. Oh, that's true, I did. try and pretend you don't know what the Imperium is, but you know what the warp <laughs> is. Um, yeah, that's true. There's like webway portals in the crowd. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. <laughs> so that kind of brings me to where I wanted to kind of think I'm really good and I can break the matter and it turns out that no, no you I can't. cannot um, so in the last episode I was saying uh, I've got an idea for a new list that's going to do really well against death and Nagash is everywhere and if not then Arkham's there or yeah, it's one of those and two. you, you got to take it out so I moved into a bit of uh, Hammer Hall rather than uh, Living City. So mm. mixed order, mixed order, mixed order. Lots of lots of bravery. From bravery stuff. times, yeah. Yeah, basically it was the Living City list, but without the terrible stuff in it, like the Tree Lord that never summons a wood, and yep. plus, um, so you're losing the dropping down ability, but you're gaining a Dragon Lord host, so an extra artifact um, and a dragon and a big yep. block um, of archers. I already had the archers in Living City, but uh, Tenebrial Shard with the Sword of Judgment, which initially was quite hilarious just as a thought, and then is a good practice thing. games was like, oh, I'd killed all of these things. Legendary 50% bang. 50% so the, of the time it works every yeah. time. So I was thinking if you can put like a Dragon Lord or a Tenebrial Shard or 30 Glade Guard re-rolling ones from the Nomad Prince with Ren 3 into something, yep. that thing's probs dead. Yeah. What I found though is that the meta had shifted, having had such a kind of horde meta thing for quite a long time over the summer. What three months? Yeah. yeah. Um, since AOS two really awesome. came out, it was yeah. all summer. Um, yeah. all death was around. I mean, death. Death was very much present at Angel Call. I mean, sure. if you listen to our first three episodes, it is you two describing in detail um, the same meta reoccurring every time. I'm pretty certain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. pretty much. Uh, and then um, I was like, yeah, cool, so we can shoot off Nagash, stab him in the face with some mortal wounds, good good times. Yeah. Um, I suspect that if I'd won my first game at Crimbobo, which is where I took this mixed order soup list, then I might have done a bit better, but certainly in the mid to lower tables, people have got super bored of really big stuff that when it dies, you've basically lost the game. Like and Nagash. A, right. Yeah. So yeah. say say Nagash, um, any kind of large monster, cut, any large, large monster caster matter. So unrendable okay. zombie dragon. Yeah, perhaps. Where all of your stuff's in one basket. There are a few unrendable zombie dragons running around. I don't. Yeah, because he's not. He's not a linchpin of the list. He's just a really nice. He's to just. Have. He's just. He's a, a throw it away and deal with this. Yeah. He's not really a thing. Tar pit. That, yeah. Yeah. And for four hundred and forty points, there's other stuff you can do that with, yeah. like another two hundred skeletons. 
Um, and and went to the Pat. yeah, I just found that everyone had lots of MSU. Um, shooting MSU. Lots of shooting MSU, which we kind of thought. So might what come kind back. of units? So uh, I played Nikos Pert in my second game, and he had Seraphon, and he I don't even know how many drops he had, like thirty or something, and it was just ten Drop, skinks, ten skinks, ten skinks, ten skinks, ten skinks, so sorry, blowpipe skinks. Just skinks, I don't know what they are, like nice. ones that shoot you. Do, and chameleon, then, chame do chameleon skinks still exist? Yes, yeah, they really good. do. And chameleon skinks auto win. Um, what's uh, the one we talked about a few weeks ago where you burn the objectives? Because um, you can turn up in front of it. Where you just deploy into combat with the like wizard that somebody's left at home and you outnumber them and you just burn it. Which is sad. Yeah, sure. So um, you just need to cover them properly. Yeah, but. I was unable to because I'd gone for stuff that's that, going forwards and shooting stuff. You you don't unless you have majority. You need you need basically three horde units to sit at home to stop chameleon skinks doing that yeah. efficiently. Particularly if they're deploying from the heavens or whatever. When you've got teleporting razordons in packs of four, so oh, they're lot so of, good. There's a lot of shooting yeah, going on. So, yeah, so you had good. 16 razordons. Quite um, a big unit. Is, is it razordons that are three d six shots? Two hundred and forty points. Yeah, but try killing them. They just disappear and they teleport away, and they're behind a line of like three units of ten skinks that just retreat from combat, and you never kill them. Cool. So Nikos's list was amazing. He the only game he lost was against um, Gary, who actually won the event. So I think um, he finished pretty high in the end. But that that was like pretty good. I uh, also played against Matt Crow, who had. Um, uh, Stormcast Eternals from the new chamber sacrosanct. So yep. there's a lot of evocators. There's a lot. There's like twenty sequiturs. Yeah, um, that's pretty Everything's got it. Yeah. So I mean, there's just not a lot you can really do about that on board control because they're on a one up, uh, three up rerolling. Rerolling. Re rolling. Um, the sequiturs are just rerolling. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, that was just hard work, um, and you, they just kind of roll forwards until until you're dead. Uh, yep. which was interesting um, and then kind of other shooting stuff that I came up against um, I played Iron Jaws which obviously wasn't the end of the world Maggotkin wasn't the end of the world kind of big scary monster lists yeah, I did fine, fine against um, I, see it's funny because I thought just before you go forward on that I thought Maggot King were going to be big yeah because, that was our prediction actually at the end of AOS 1 right and I, and I was sitting there thinking that because there was also this new thing around having a terrain piece Mm -hmm. that you interact with that is maybe summonable and or on the board um, I know they've just done the, the herd penguin yeah. uh, which yeah. seems to be contributing but none of these lists have gone truly meta with that not really um, no I mean all the you can't destroy a piece of terrain right it's just there so you know but you yeah can't. but the Nurgle ones are hard to get yeah they are well, the um, two trees do, you do yeah. start with one, and I mean, what I one. all I found was that it meant that Toggy was able to get three great unclean ones too close to my army, and then they all died in one turn. Yep. Um, yeah. Okay, interesting. So, who took out Crimbobo? Um, it was Gary Percival, and I will have a look to see exactly what he's running. I believe it was. Should be able to bring it as well. Usefully, I'm getting it. It is Stormcast. Yeah, Stormcast. Um, and the prize was actually Sacrosanct. Stormcast Army. Um, yeah, presumably, definitely evocators. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can go watch the stream of Gary's games if you want to see where the meta is literally sitting at the end of Crimbova. He's got at least one on the Honest Wargamers Twitch. Yep. Um, probably a couple, because he'll have been up there throughout. Yeah. Uh, and Gary's not quite taken home an event before. He's come very close, and he's been second a few times. So yep. um, he's definitely been paying attention, reading the stats, and kind of thinking what people are going to bring. Yeah, um, fair enough. 
I think I was just a couple of weeks behind with my list. Like, what yeah, I took maybe. would have definitely done ri- much better than my Living City list had I taken sure. it to Angel Core. But even in that, what, a month, we had Blood and Glory, um, the GT finals. Um, yep. I think that everything moved on so much. It was amazing. So that brings us quite nicely onto what's next. Yeah, um, I think mm. Mixed Order's coming back in a big mm. way. I played Alex Bruce at the end, and um, with the removal, with the inception of actual legacy compendiums. Yeah, mm. exactly. So legends, so Dark Elves are now gone, you can't use them. Okay. You essentially can now take Anything stuff from the compendiums again, in a way that people weren't really allowing before, but... Well, in the way that we were all promised when AOS happened in the first place, frankly. Yeah, and TOs, I think, some some have ruled that you can't use Compendium, but actually people have stopped bothering doing that in AOS yeah, too. Yeah, because there's a, is. there's a feeling that those War Scrolls are going eventually, so let people have their day while they have it. Yeah. But with, you know, particularly with Winterleaf Wargrove, where you can take an Order unit, um, yeah, yeah. or with Naru, we can take an Order Wizard. Um, I think Mixed Order in particular has got pretty exciting access to stuff. Um, that is good. I played Alex yeah. Bruce in my final game in a mixed order off. We both had Hammerhall, and his was ultimately just better. Sure. What was it? He had a load of Volkite Berserkers that tumbled up in that little thing with the, the uh, uh, latch key. So expensive Not latch now, key, so Yeah, but it's amazing. Forge key. It's really good. Um, especially you pay too much. Yeah, right now. but you're also coming in with heart renders. You got a Frost Heart Phoenix. You got a. Yeah, that's You nice. got a hundred point wizard on a Pegasus casting two spells because Compendium. Oh, like Pegasus, it was man. good. Um, yeah, really yeah. There's Is this where your heart in. renders inspiration came from? Yeah, absolutely. I have a box of heart renders. Um, I lost a game against Alex the other night at club where yeah, I had basically did. taken his army off the table. But I just wanted to be known his... on this podcast that I won a game. Yeah, we we're sure. playing. Um, we'll mark the called? date. We we're playing knife to the heart. I already not played the tattooed on my. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> on your face you don't know it's a radio podcast tattooed on my dice this is, rolling this hand. is audio only you can just imagine Alex's face tattoo yes it's got um, a big date across the middle of it <laughs> um, and like yeah so we, we you know we played Knife to the Heart it's one of the scenarios in the current GHB which should definitely be in each pack by the way because it makes you think differently yeah I think so it, you, there is still one scenario where you can auto win yeah, and I had not played a scenario you can auto win in ages without having to burn stuff and yep. overcommitted, killed most of Alex's army. You only need ten drives and five tree revenants to win a game. Yeah, you just need majority models and control it both. So like, sure. um, whether so, it's tree revenants, which I can't take to teams if you're running Sylvaneth or heart renders, something sells some prime, something yeah. that's able to come in and affect the game. Order has in spades where yeah. other factions don't, and they have it in a way that is like my war scroll allows me to do this I'm not relying on an allegiance exactly. I'm not relying on summoning I just show up when I want and I do the thing that you need to win the game yeah, yeah, it's, just, yeah it's the same well, this is precisely where you don't see mixed chaos or less um, less so yeah, yeah. Um, so next next year I think yeah you're right we're going to have some we're going to have some really good Seraphon and Sylvaneth builds I think are going to be the, the real they're going to see a bit of a return yeah, that'll be my. That's my kind of prediction. No, no, not at all. No. No. Not no, until no. they get a new book, unless no. they halving points. Yeah, which they won't. Literally halving points. I, I as would well. say, yeah. I think. I so think uh, the fix uh, there is summoning. Literally at um, at Blood and Glory, I played somebody and I played with a thousand points of Deepkin on the table and still won. Yeah, I mean they're, they're terrible. <laughs> um, like it's it. I mean it's not bad. So if we're going into the shooting matchup, what things? are going to be the next meta after that what works really well against an MSU shooting army 
Well, we were discussing this just before. Um, I think it's in many ways mirroring what happened in 8th edition. Yeah. Mm. Um, Amit used to do incredibly well with his mass shooting MSU uh, Dark Elf, um, yep. Dark Riders list, where every cavalry model had a repeater crossbow, yep. and you just kind of shunt yourself around the board and pick things off as you need to. And the big answer to that, if I remember correctly, is monstrous infantry and monstrous cavalry. Because you can shoot... The big boys, the yeah. The big boys, because you can shoot off Nagash. Yes. Yep. But if you do that number of wounds to ten trolls, yeah, then the trolls go cool. Yeah, there's still eight of us here. You're fucked, mate. Yeah. Um. And with you know rumors, obviously, of Moon Clan coming back, there's also monstrous cavalry heavily within destruction with Mornfang with um, Gorgrunters. Um. Yeah. Moving over into chaos, you've got um dragon ogres, you've got skull crushers, you've got blood crushers, you've got Varangard. Um, and even don't forget the old Chaos Dwarves as well. You've got the yeah, Centaurs in there. The Kadai do quite well as well as multi wound, monstrous infantry models. There's plenty of stuff that does exist that has been coming down in points because people aren't using and it. And you can get multi drop as um, well. So when you're targeting a unit of big multi wound models, you've still yeah. got other units to back up as well. Right. So I think the interesting things are going to be where does the Moon Clan book leave destruction? Um, and what does the Dark Oath book look like? How How is that going to integrate with existing mortal? Um, chaos units. Um, I bet on pretty good authority that the Moon Clan book is just a reprint of the existing scrolls where everything's gone up 40 points. <laughs> Whose authority is that? Just, just mine. Is it? <laughs> oh my god. There's a picture of There's not even any new scrolls. Can you imagine it's the just, internet rage? It would yeah. just be glorious. There might be flying squigs, but you just have to use the squig scroll and yeah. it's now. It's just narrative that they're flying, exactly. but they're, they're they heavy, so they float. Yeah, they don't and, they do and they do an intentional misprint and say that Donal wrote the battle zone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he'll be. So uh, I don't think it, I don't. Well, Moonkind might have a massive impact, but I don't see it. I don't see it being that big. If well, anything, in terms it might of be the, quite but you random. Say that, is it Moon Clan that's been the meta? Because it's actually mixed destruction technically, isn't there it? There is no Moon Clan meta. Yeah, a hundred percent. But. As we've been saying, there has been a mass unit horde meta under Daughters of Cain. Donald, yes. Donald, yes, isn't very good, but he's got a lot of models. It's a similar build to yeah. Daughters, except you need to roll sixes. Um, yeah. I just don't see the Moon Clan book having a massive impact in the same way that like Daughters or Deepkin or no. And I think that also else. comes down to who is going to paint 180 Moon Clan grocks. Um, and the simple answer is people historically who hell no that's, people, not, that's not the simple answer the simple answer is Donal yeah, he'll paint 180 new grants right but the what, what I'm getting at here is people who play destruction historically and I have had a destruction army in the past back in 7th edition you're buying it for the models and for the narrative generally speaking more than you are for the gaming yeah I, I suspect that the lack of vocal attacks on Games Workshop making them more competitive is one of the reasons this is the last faction that we're getting anything really put into yeah iron jaws are cool but they're so because they're so combat focused it's so easy to overpower them yeah. that they're generally underpowered and you know there may be a new book coming they may be really good but in terms of you know you look at people like tony moore like darren watson like yeah. jack armstrong those people aren't people who are going to sit down and paint 180 models darren was talking to me about a ridiculous masked um uh, clan Molder, not Clan Molder. Uh, pestilence. Clan Pestilence list, thank you, with like 240 Plague Monks and yep. a Plague Furnace in it. And 
that's just realistically not going to see the table from the top yeah, 10 players because they jump around Darren's so a narrative much. player. Sure. <laughs> the story is I'm that still Darren trying to convince him. wins. But yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I don't know what the shooting does against 180 grocks, though. Yeah. Like I mean, any shooting in the game. Yeah, not enough is the real answer, yeah. I think. Uh, so, final predictions. I personally think uh, first like bit of 2019 will be uh, very much the end of death and new kind of Sylvaneth and Seraphon lists are going to sure. come in. Mm. And then after that, I'm, I personally think Maggotkin are going to have a bit of a time. Yeah. Just for the anti-shootingness, um, yeah, the and disgusting resilient, it's wind redundancy, handy. isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and stormcast. Any other thoughts? Yeah, I just think I'm, I'm, I am interested to see the January FAQ, particularly relating to stuff like Sylvaneth Wildwoods. Obviously, they've just had an FAQ at the start of AOS two saying mm. how they block line of sight. We were discussing how that interacts. Then, if you are a Sylvaneth player, you're actually blocking your own shooting. So there's been some lobbying for that to change to it doesn't mm. block Sylvaneth shooting but then that's a huge abuse of something that they get for free yeah. beyond what the deep can get with their boats or maggot can get with their trees yeah so um, yeah I mean this is why I, I'm sitting on the fence because I think the January FAQ is going to shake things up a little bit right. but in the meantime assuming no FAQ okay well so, we know there is one yeah, yeah. So let's, assume, let's assume, assume it doesn't have massive assuming it doesn't have a huge impact I think we're going to continue to see um I think probably if people find casters that are kind of your seven wound casters mm. and get them with artifacts, that's going to be good. Anything that yeah. can, retains lookout, sir, but has that resilience, as you say, something like Maggotkin, not How your you main lookout, sir. If you have seven or fewer wounds, and oh, you're okay. three nice. so there's so, a whole ton of stormcast. For example, ones Lady Olander is seven yeah, wounds. Yeah. That's your key example. There's there's plenty of recent things. Like yeah. I would imagine there's something in Nurgle that's seven wounds because uh, most, that's of the of most of their infantry stuff. Most of their infantry because a lot of their infantry is four wound. Yeah, like base. So, so all of the, the like, plagues yeah, and yeah. those kind of things. So all of that kind of stuff. I think you're right. I think Nurgle could do very well yeah. there. Um, you're you're still nagging the shooting. There's other minus to hit from the wheel. Yeah. Um, you're doing mortal wounds out. You're able to heal yourself. Um, and you have access to horde units. And even if that's using like the 600 marauders with the mark of Nurgle, you're able to have board control. And there's no point taking shooting if your opponent's taking shooting because then it's just a dice roll. Cool. In short, my prediction, anything that has access to battalions that give you the level of flexibility, such as Sylvaneth, mm. uh, where you get to almost add in anything into the army that you want uh, and still have one drop if you want it. Mm -hmm. And that also includes the ability to have, to draw, and particularly Sylvaneth are a great example because you can draw from what is the greatest pool of uh, of currently available war scrolls anyway including yeah. things such as frost heart phoenixes mm -hmm. i just think at the moment despite all the changes in aos2 um or actually no that summoning in particular makes that stronger um because you can find extra efficiencies in your casters um yeah. I, that for me is just big it's just big it's just it's just it's it's just so free-flowing and just from a from a management point of view it's just so efficient yeah, I mean, you know, when you're looking at Sylvaneth, you've got a 2,000-point list. There's no point being 50 points short for a um, command point because you've probably got three from your list inherently, and exactly. then you're probably running a Lariel or exactly. something. You've sacrificed points. nothing. So if you're playing against a multi-drop death list that's maybe coming in at 1950 to save 50 points, you're 250 points up, and you still have more command points than mm. them. Like, that's that's where it's going to go. And when you're grabbing objectives rather than just, you know, having a 
a war of attrition, yeah, you're, you're 250 points up, bro. It's more models. So Laurie had best start actually winning some uh, events. It's true. It's predictive here. Or, or Alex start winning some events. Yeah, yeah like you've seen it here yeah. first or heard it here first. Cool. Uh, we're going to take a short break and we'll come back with some narrative talk. Welcome back um, to the narrative section of uh, this episode. Um, if you listened to the last episode, you will probably remember that um, for narrative, we had a brilliant reading from Faye Downey uh, for her uh, Necromunda story, I Am Janice. That was a placeholder. Unfortunately, when we had uh, Owen Abram in um, last time, uh, as Matt said, we lost the um, data file for um, the narrative. Um, so... Matt's going to talk to us a little bit about what he was taking to uh, Raw and how the Raw event has developed from um, the first two. So this is Raw 3, wasn't it? This is Raw um, 3, yeah. So we'll yeah. talk a bit about our, our experiences there. Um, and I can remember some of what Owen was talking about and I can definitely remember his amazing models as well. So I'll talk about them yep. a little bit. And we'll just have to get Owen back on in the future, perhaps at the conclusion of the D&D campaign. Yeah, yeah, it's true. We should we should definitely bring on everyone to talk about the end of the D&D, including Mo. Yes, including Mo, who has returned, which just gives me great joy but also fear in character <laughs> <laughs> um, so Realms at War um, for those of you who don't know is a narrative event uh, run by Mitzi Jimbo Steve Foote and uh, sometimes Eat, Eat Ming's Foot. yeah Eat Ming's Foot. Um, and it's sort of the um, certainly within the UK uh, scene the premier narrative event uh, for AOS um, it's run in Cambridge at the Non Cambridge University, University. Anglia Roskin. There yeah, except it moved this year. Has it? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, that's yeah, something. To a new, learning. to a new little venue that's uh, still part of the university, I think. Okay. But it was a nicer room. It was really cool. So it's still, right. it's still ARU, but a different. I think building. so. Yeah. All right. Great. Yeah. Um, and um, the big, the big takeaway for me always was that the terrain is insane, and mm. um, they put in a huge amount of effort, but in terms of um, the appearance of the event and running it and making sure everyone's having a good time. Um, what I understand has changed this year is on top of that, they've actually put a lot more uh, time playtesting the scenarios and making it a more seamless event to play in. Well, any time playtesting the scenarios was my understanding from me. Perhaps, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I don't know. Because they, they said openly that this is the first time they'd really gone to town with a playtest. It was, it was huge. huge. Um, yeah, yeah so go, they, they got involved with all of the narrative guys over in the States. Yep. and got them to basically just play test every scenario that the guys were going to play in that we we got to play in throughout the event just to make sure that they weren't crazy broken and that there was enough room there that it wasn't too complicated which was another thing that happened at raw sometimes yeah for sure um that everyone could understand it and had some room to really like make the narrative that they wanted and that was that was massive this year i'd say that was one of the best things about this year was just every single scenario was simple and balanced yeah, it's pretty it's, impressive to take that feedback on and mm. come up with such amazing goods not, as well. Not, not being overcomplicated is the burden of everything that's vaguely narrative, isn't it? Because yeah, you, exactly. you want everything to be represented and then next thing you know it's all too bloated, etc. Yeah. Et so yeah, it's, it's, very, well. it's a very difficult balance to strike. Yeah, I think trusting the community as well of players that have been built up over three years of running narrative events. Yeah. The first time it's a bit of a shot in the dark with AOS being new, it's a very good point. being something that is kind of quite fledgling and they're wanting to really stamp their mark on. At mm. this point, they've got a brand and um, you just want to make sure that you know you know the people, you, you know you can rely on people coming back because you've run a good event in the past. So what you need to fix is that playability. Um, 
One yep. of the reasons I didn't go this year is I didn't like um, the way that particularly the skirmish games had run in 2017. And from what I've heard about this year, I am kicking myself that I made that decision. So, yep. so this year, um, no skirmish. Uh, I can't remember the exact points levels. And they did actually adapt them slightly on the day, I think, compared to the pack. Uh -huh. But it just became a, I think it was a 500-point game yeah, straight off uh, on a four-foot by four-foot. Then nice. a 650. 625 or 750 mm -hmm. something pretty pretty small where you've just added a little bit yeah then a game of a thousand yeah. on a, and that's where we had a six by four suddenly available um then we played and doubles that, and was that it had to be two battle line etc is that there's no force organization no. at all no as we will get to when i talk about my list later yes yeah so the, the concept for Raw 2018, for those of you who don't know, is the idea of Ether Me. Um, so um, the guys put together a deck of cards um, where you had uh, an Ether Mist and an Ether Lab, which were separate mm. War Scrolls and models that you had to bring, which is pretty much a signature of uh, Realms of War. You create yep. a character of some kind and, and something to go along with it, be that a monster or a moving terrain piece in, in this example. Um, and am I right in saying that you had three three types of cards to build a spell yeah that was essentially the so the mechanic of this was really really well thought out and again they play tested it really well with the american guys uh, i presume I, I think that's that's how it worked they also uh, ran a weekend just then i think in the uk yes to test it out so essentially how it worked was you had three different cards i can't remember the name of them now it was like compounds focuses and something else yeah um and the yellow ones affected the targets so it, they would say things like uh, a unit within 12 or two units within six or something like that. Yeah. Um, then you would have the actual like thing that the card did. It would say something like D3 mortal wounds or yeah. heal D3 Turns wounds. into a frog. Yeah, something like that. Um, and then there were things that like adjusted ha what happened when the, when the spell went off. So they could be things like uh, double the range mm -hmm. or the caster takes a mortal wound when if this is successfully cast or... So there's some danger to there's it. some danger, you know. But so is it the potato? Potato. You became a potato if you rolled a double one on the cast. Lol. So in terms of how <laughs> casting worked, each of these cards had a number in the top left, and you could put multiple cards down. So you could have it that it was going to do, you know, d3 mortal wounds and uh, heal for a wound or something on the targets, which cool. wouldn't be very good. But you can put multiple things down because their values in the top left can make it easier or harder to cast. Some of them were minuses. Okay. And you basically just totaled that number and that was what you had to hit on 2d6. Yeah. Right, so the the cards that you placed gave you a total number and that's what you had to hit on 2d6. Yep. So were there any that made it a 12? Yeah. Oh, easy, you could get more than 12, but you really? wouldn't. Uh, so you needed yeah, a yeah. plus one or whatever. Yeah, like so that. you'd pick cards that sort of did your effect but were good enough that they actually went off. Yeah. Uh, and some of the like, Additional cards also gave you re-rolls or things that you could that you could get off, uh, and they were giving out pluses from the guilds. So, the, like for a whole game, you could have plus one to cast uh, yeah. the the spells. Oh, there was two guilds, wasn't there? Yeah, and then yeah. if that spell went off, then you collected your points and you collected how many cards you used at the end of the weekend. I was dreadful at this; uh, kept rolling like three and four, uh, and that guild ended up as the winner, the one that brewed the most ether me cool were you allocated a guild or did you pick it allocated cool. which was another really good thing 
uh, now that we're coming onto it, uh, in terms of I've I've never liked the way that Raw did table matchups before. Yeah. In that it was just like go and go and find an opponent, and then that can feel like it's the last picked at school, or you end up just playing your friends, or yeah. I I think, I think there's also an element where you, you you may have spoken to somebody and be like, oh, we should definitely get a game in or whatever, but actually it doesn't necessarily help people's narratives grow. You need a little yeah, bit exactly. of like GMing on that. You know? Yeah. So what they did this year is uh, you got into those two guilds. And you basically said, oh, I want to play in Giran. Or I yeah. want to play on these cool tables over here in Shaman or something. Can you give me table 16? Shaman. And then the other team would obviously be doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. And then you uh, turned up at the table and had an opponent. Cool. Every time. Ah, uh, right. So there was a bit of a So it worked out really discussion. well. And if you were desperate to like grudge somebody or you thought that your narrative would really work, you could speak to the person before their game and say, let's just both go on table four. And you just say to the person allocating the tables, can I have table four? Yeah. And then you both turn up on table four. Great. Easy. Still allows for that, but doesn't force people into this yeah. into this like thing yeah, where right. people feel a bit awkward or I think Probably it was just the middle of that a bit better. Yeah. Massively, massively positive change. I think really, really, really good. That's really smart. I like that a lot. Mm. Um so you were running something new, just while I've got it in my head. Owen, mm. uh, as we talked famously uh, about Owen in the past being kind of death lord, yeah, death really. player, um, and he was telling us about his love of direwolves in particular last time. <laughs> yeah, um, Owen had a bit of a departure, not only in terms of army list composition, but actually in terms of grand alliance as well. So Owen showed up here with um, a grot ethermist, yep. who hired some mercenary iron jaws, um, and his ether lab was actually a kind of jury rigged. Um, Leviathan. Leviathan. Yeah. Sort of Which murder, is a great murder conversion. Turtle. Murder turtle. Yeah. 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 Um, Dragon turtle. You've got the kind of back of a forty k orc truck and the howler and the kind of yeah. It was really cool. There's loads of gubbins on there, so that was cool. That was. Um, and his um, his iron jaws are I think are in golden armor. Yep. So they are blingy as and like yep. certainly super mercenary. Um, which, They're all about the gold. Which is really cool. Oh, I have to put um, that sound effect in now. Gold. Yeah. <laughs> you certainly do. Done. Uh, every time we say gold during this segment, and we might say gold quite a few times. Uh, I'm not going to do it. It's the word gold. <laughs> it is gold. Gold. Um, and um, what's nice about that, Owen, Owen was mentioning as well, is um, a narrative army, as I've discovered in the past with Raw, um, and I think you did as well with your Caradron, is yes. a really good place to start a new army. Yeah, it's um, really nice. Until they become crap in the new meta. Well, yeah, sure. <laughs> but, you know, that's still nice to have. Or oh, Draconis just got better, so I'm, I'm not going to complain about it. But Owen's yeah. going to build that um, Iron Jaws faction up in the new Yeah, he's going to turn it into like the match play. a club night kind yeah. of army, isn't it? It might not be a thing that he takes to all the match play events, especially if it's like loads of players or things. But... Oh, well, when the Legions of Donal book comes out, then yeah, that's true. Right. <laughs> yep. Yeah, legions, um, legions of what's and, his name. And t can you talk us through Matt, your plan. process of uh, coming up with your list because I, I particularly liked your um, not only the list composition and the inception of that but also the narrative behind it yeah so my uh, I've always liked the battalions aspect and in narrative play I've always tried to like find a battalion that I really like either the models in or the rules for um, especially and, now it gives you a command point and an artifact yeah exactly I didn't actually <laughs> use those at all um, but I, I've just always liked them as a kind of like themey thing. They give you they give you a starting point. They give you something to to theme your army around while you're while you're making the narrative. Mm -hmm. and one that's always been in the order book that has had no reason to ever see the light of day is the Collegiate Arcanum one, which is three battle mages on foot, 
a Celestial Hurricaneum, yeah. a Luminarch, and a uh, Battle Mage on Griffin. Yeah. So you have six wizards, and that is it. That's your army. So obviously in match play, so that's not really a question. thing that you're going to see. What's your force? What's your uh, force organization? It's wizards. It's pretty much that. Yeah. Yes. Sure. So All the heroes. original the original plan for this before AOS two came out because I was planning yeah. the raw army quite a long way in advance mm-hmm. was uh, to then take a whole load of chaos familiars right. and just have them as order familiars. Yeah. And right. you could get something like eight units of two chaos familiars just be running around they're like one attack sixes to hit sixes to wound that's as good as Glade Guard now. Uh, but they get in the way and maybe my wizards could do cool things yeah um, but then AOS 2 dropped and Malign Sorcery came out yeah and I thought I've got six wizards in my army mm. where every time I the battalion thing is every time I don't cast with a wizard another wizard who is casting gets plus one to cast that's and that's not to cast yes yeah so I cast with one of the wizards. I can say this guy, this guy, this guy are going to give up their casting so this phase. Effectively channeling. Yeah, exactly. And it's, the, it's the war council. Battalion yes. If people want to look that up. Yes, exactly. Uh, gives you plus three to cast <laughs> and plus six inch range for each guy that gives it wow. up. Wow. Sorry, plus three to cast. Well, Wait. no, plus one to cast right. from each. Sorry. Yeah. And then plus six for each guy. Yeah. So then the malign sorcery spells were out. And so (laughs) they've all got high cast values and Uh, uh, the setup. So I think you actually can't do this in match play. I think you can't buff the range of a setup spell. The way that it's worded is very funny. But in terms of narrative play, no one cares. Yeah. Uh, So what I was doing is (laughs) boosting. Yeah, exactly. This is how my army works. This is the cool thing that it does. Do you care? No. No. Um, yeah. So what I was what I was doing is essentially like first turn, five guys don't cast, one guy does, forty two inch range purple sun right in front of their army. Uh, yeah, that sounds narrative. Ca- cast on a double one. But it is narrative. <laughs> but it is a double one and auto fail. Nope. No, no, it's not in casting. Not a thing. Oh, not anymore. Nope. No more. This no is where you need the mishap table. So yeah, it's only an auto pass because Wait, didn't the. Wait, you turn into a potato. I no, mean, no, not. Yeah, like that was just yeah, for okay. brewing. Yeah. So essentially, uh, I just tried to get as many uh, endless <laughs> spells onto the board as I possibly could. At one point, I had seven that is of my endless spells Were running around the table. Songs? No, you can't have multiple so of the you, same so one. So I had seven separate endless spells all running around the table. And the list was that, absolutely that, that brilliant. Yeah. So the narrative behind pretty it, much. pretty much. Yeah. The, ones only. yeah. The starter set obviously yeah. is now... Yeah, much. which I don't have. Did you take Comet? Were you able to take Comet? No, because Stormcast Wizards only to cast uh, that. Okay. Which don't fit in the War Council. Nope. But you could take Yet. it in addition, but you'd have too many heroes in match play. But also it's raw, so you say my narrative is that there's no Stormcast uh, Wizards. Yeah, in absolutely. Join the... Uh, yeah, my so my narrative was the University of Colarcanum Memorum, uh, which was the <laughs> Rise of Empires city that yeah. ended up being destroyed by a giant fight between Nagash and Archeon. Um, at That's the end of the, what was it, February that February you went year. to that? Yeah, so that February city got Margaret. absolutely I destroyed. I literally, just, my remainder of my character from Raw 2017, mm. managed to escape on a boat that was uh, that had a, uh, uh, what's it called, more crusher hanging off the bottom of it. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, that does not sound so. Because they can fly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so essentially, what I said was the Wizard Council from Colocanum managed to escape. 
and Those set up yeah set up a university in uh in one of the realms just in some free space nowhere near any cities because they're, yeah. they're just not interested anymore uh in an attempt to study magic in all of its purest forms and all and the new predatory stuff that's come out since the necroquake yeah exactly yeah. and just try and try and educate the realms on how we need to use magic properly yeah. rather than uh let archaeon and nagash fight in your hometown yeah, yeah. So they focus on a load of defensive stuff, and then essentially they they sent out their best academics to Raw to investigate what this new ethermy stuff was about, and how we could hire a new professor of ethermy to like set up a new course. Yeah, that was my narrative for the whole weekend. So basically, I was giving away my cards and things to get other people to show me how good they were at ethermy uh, as the perspectives, and I think the final two. There was three finalists going into the final game uh, that had caught my eye. I was only using games that were to the left and right of me yeah. as ones that my Ethermancer could possibly be yeah. interested in. So um, it was generally within the same realm that your army was... Yeah, exactly. And they, the tables are all connected at Raw, so yeah. you can just like run gate across or run yes. across to the next table. Uh, so going into the final was Owen with his Grot, uh, ne with his grot Aethermist, uh, Tomlin with his orc atheist <laughs> and uh, Rob from Angel Rob Moore Rob Moore that's it uh, with uh, he had a Ideneth and army and yeah. atheist and Rob Moore changing from Disciple of Zinch to Ideneth yep such a shame he moved away from London yeah I know and um, so Rob ended up ended up winning the professorship um, his well, I can't remember the name of his ethermist now. I think I remembered last is it episode. An octopus with book, dude. No, no, well, not some kind of doctor, right? So that makes sense. Yeah, it's fair. Um, so yeah, I <laughs> I presented him with a little uh, sparkly bow. <laughs> it was like a like a hairband with a sparkly bow on it. Yeah. That showed that you were a professor of Con Arcane and Memorium University. Yeah. I'm which <laughs> I went and bought from Claire's. So it was I'm, a, I'm missing the it logic. It was a tiara. I just wanted something to present to him, so I went to Claire's Matt accessories wanted, in Matt, the middle of Matt Raw. And to give an embarrassing object to another human being. Yeah, so I would have liked to see Tomlin in it in full orc. Yeah, makeup. right. Uh, that's something really we didn't good. talk about. Oh, we the dressing up. What, what was the uh, cosplay like this year? Pretty good. Uh, so I think less people probably took it up this year, sure. but in general, I mean, it's always it's always a funny part of Raw, right? Uh, John Green came as Mr. Potato Head. I did see that. I did yeah. see that. Yeah, it was um, very funny. Yeah, it was really good because of everyone turning into potatoes as Ethermists. Uh, who else was really good? Uh, I can't remember the name of the guy. He came across from the states to play D Daughters of Cain player one best costume. Okay. Uh, really nice guy, um, but went full on Daughters of Cain, just dressed as a witch elf or a oh, hag. I did see that. Yeah, it was hilarious. Mm. He shaved his chest. Adam Adam's used to shaving his chest every day anyway, so I'm just not very hairy. Oh I don't know if I feel sorry no, for you or not. No, but everyone now knows that. Yeah. So it's really good. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it, it is just a part of Raw. Um but I think so they did some really cool things this year. Uh doubles was really, really good. That's something that I, I've always Using been the rules against from the doubles. Handbook, right, rather than triumph and treachery. Yes, a gathering of might rules, which are absolutely superb. Are these the random effects? No, not at all. So you don't have to pay. Any, so all that they change is you get 
three command points a turn, which you can use as a pair. Yeah. Um, then uh, shooting, you can double your shooting range, but you are a minus one to hit if you're shooting at double range. Okay. Volley fire, essentially. It's something like right. that, yeah. I can't remember what they call it, but they're just designed to make the games faster. Okay. Uh, and combat is uh, everybody yeah, I've fights. I've seen these. Sorry, I have seen these. Yeah. So that is the big change. Yeah, combat yeah, yeah, is just yeah. everyone fights. So if you've clipped me with one guy, yeah. my whole unit gets to fight. But that combat happens simultaneously. Yeah, so my guy fights too. So, exactly. Even if I wipe you so out we, with my whole unit, so we you all still roll get dice to and just back. see what happens. Basically. Exactly. How does that interact with stuff like Quicksilver Potion? I think Quicksilver Potion, you'd probably just have to narratively say, oh, he does go first. Or, that one time. And then all the other times, they go simultaneously. Yeah, I guess so. But effectively, I don't think there's any rules that cover it. Yeah. But you just. Yeah. yeah. I think it'd be fine. Cool. Um, I am probably going to try and go to Raw next year because they're going to move I... the date, aren't they? Mm. And the problem for me has been the time of year and the fact that they insist on playing Skirmish. So if both of those things are different. I think Skirmish will stay out uh, unless we have a big change to the way that Skirmish works. I'm pretty sure they'll keep it out. No, it's, it's just too dicey. Yeah, I don't mm. think it. I, th I think January. the lower points count. Yeah. Um, um, I had a ticket for this year's Raw and I very unfortunately had to give it up because I decided to move in with Adam on that weekend so many, so many mistakes were made but so, the, but yeah, the yeah. amazing uh, Adam's got him well whipped yeah, yeah I know frustrating um, but the good news is I basically have a army that was intended for this year's Raw sort of already half built that is true and, and you've got all the models and everything done so, so next year so on the cards I'm absolutely going in 2019 and I can't wait yeah. um, I, I, I hope the new date doesn't screw me because that date's always consistently been good for me yep yeah. Apart from when I decided to move apart in with... Apart from the third of the time. Apart from the third of the... Yeah, I guess so. That's the way that works. <laughs> um, I think one of the one of the major things about Raw is that it's just such a good community of people. Absolutely. Like, it's such a nice group of guys that are all just there to have a really fun weekend. The attitude of everyone, this year especially, was absolutely superb. Everyone yeah. that it, was there. It's the attitude of, we want everything on the table to look awesome. Yeah, and it's it's this kind of attitude that I think match play sometimes lacks a bit, where it's it's we are here to have a good game. Yeah, not I am here to have a good game. Absolutely. Raw has this: we are here to find something that we can that we can both enjoy together. Let's grab beer. Let's grab you know have a cool little narrative story. Let's mm. you know do the parts together that we that we enjoy out of this game. Whereas match can sometimes feel like cool. I enjoyed that because I smashed your face in. Yeah, I mean the the, the beauty. The, yeah, that the enjoyment of match is when you're absolutely wailing on somebody, right? But the enjoyment of narrative yeah, but, is those moments, those yeah. moments where things. But that enjoyment is have one happened, way. But they did, right? And uh, uh, that match play enjoyment is one way. One yeah, of course it is. It is one themselves. way. Narrative. Of course it is. Both people, I find. Which is why secondary objectives are important. But, yeah, exactly, but, and that's but, that's what I think you can get into match play as well. You can have oh, the second person is really enjoying themselves because they've got something to play for. Yeah. But. A lot of tournaments are still lacking that a little bit, and I think as well. Not, not to like uh, rag on match play at all. I, I well, like no, the solid all systems. Look, I just think all... that was the big change in Raw. It was just like everyone there is an absolute gent, and are all just there yeah. to make sure that I have a great game. Yeah, yeah. and also you've got um, a group of probably some of the most dedicated narrative players in the world running it as yeah. well. So. Yeah, of course. I mean, we we can't understate how good a job those guys do, really. Also, you get your own terrain in that in that in that ticket price. Yeah, true. So, you know, 
always a win. Always a win. The best terrain. Was there any? Um, so in Raw seventeen, there was like the big realm monsters at the end and stuff. What was like the finale piece? What was the? So it was just the Ethermy. So the Ethermy was the real thing that they added this year. Everyone cool. got a deck of cards that you can use at some point. Um, so they didn't go for like a wow factor like last year. The wow factor was just like we have designed this because cool the monster management because the monster management in 2017 was awesome but probably a little bit bit too bookkeeping heavy wasn't it yeah end. i mean so the, the sunday where everyone turned up last year and the big monsters were on all the table was incredible it was amazing they, they couldn't they had to change what they were doing yes. right so you couldn't you couldn't do that two years in a row because everyone would have just gone oh you've done slightly bigger x yes. um got a genie with two hats yeah exactly um so i think they they did the right thing in terms of changing it um and actually just balancing the whole rule system um, i think i think my observation from the ethermy thing as well was um so my only criticism of narrative play has always been and as you know i'm a very much a dedicated disciple of narrative um I, I, not just in aos but in multiple systems and my big criticism of narrative in uh, aos was that you felt that you had to build a potentially quite expensive new army for each narrative that you wanted to do. Yeah. The beauty of the Ethermy and the Ether Lab was that you could scale that up or down as much as you wanted. Yeah. While when it was a Leviathan, you were pretty committed to a big centerpiece model. Yeah, it's true. So some Ether Labs were yeah, just like corpse cart kind of size. Yeah. Like relatively small. Could yeah. be a dude on a twenty-five mil if you really didn't want to do that much. Yeah, so I don't think anybody went that small. I think the smallest was kind of maybe a sixty mil round base. I'm sure, boy. But that's that's fine. That's that's what people can do. And another thing, like the raw painting standard, I know oh, the last couple of years feel. have been this. Oh my word! Yeah, it's <laughs> really? an amazing. It's absolutely insane. So like, Aaron's stuff, uh, Tomlin's stuff is incredible. Obviously, Bish is updated and his yeah. new his Ether his Lab. Ether Lab was Ridiculous. Oh my god. Mm. So you look at like one grot that is hanging off the back of that ether lab and it is better painted than any is character miniature. Painted, yeah, isn't it? Any character yeah. miniature that I've ever seen, including some golden demon kind of stuff. Yeah. And that's just like a goblin dude who's a part of the model. Steve's ether was lab absolutely as well. superb. I had to see it in person. It looked amazing, but it, that's a that's a strong shout. Yeah, so it was kinda of, I did back not quite back rank checks, but back rank of the the like little bits that he's added he's added yeah. to the ether lab and they were absolutely phenomenally painted did you see um steve foot's lab in in the flesh the rat on stilts with no, the treehouse on his back was it not I there? no oh, i did get to play on his like floating market thing that was really the, cool. that was in the amazing. that was in the promo video that rat on stilts it just looks incredible do you not yeah. see it no i don't think so it's like the um imagine like a brood lord but on stilts with a treehouse on its back. Cool. It was just, it was, it was phenomenal. That's I mean, really brood nice. Horror. Brood horror. Brood sorry, horror, yeah, the four-drawer one. The yeah. four-drawer yeah. one, yeah. Brood yeah, yeah I think I did see it, actually. Yes, it is a big gene stealer, isn't it? So, I mean, in terms of feedback for Raw, obviously I'm, I'm massively pro of it. Um, I'd go back every year. Yeah. Um, yeah. This year, I think, was the best one yet. Um, Amazing. Getting rid of skirmish, making a really tight rule system. I think they, those were the really big things. Uh, the venue's obviously great. It's really good. It's really good for me, so it's really nice. Um, uh, one, I did have one piece of feedback. Oh, the, the just e ether me didn't feel like they'd quite play tested that in terms of unbinding. Okay. So unbinding, they'd left that at a thirty inch range, which essentially meant that 
Ether Monsters were always in unbinding range of each other because yes. you're playing on smaller tables or you're mm. kind of getting them involved. Um, which meant that essentially it became a roll-off right? Okay. as to whether you get your thing off. Yeah, I think interesting as well because you've got a narrative opportunity to change that because something that's ethermic is something well, where you're concocting then, something that then has an effect rather yes. than casting an established spell that's being unbound. So exactly. It, so could, have, it have, could have just been a separate phase. I would have just, just changed it unbind. to be yeah. like an 18-inch unbinder or a 12-inch okay. unbinder. You think it required unbinding? I... I Maybe, maybe you could just completely get rid of it. Because my yeah. feeling in I a narrative setting, if you, you don't, don't hit use, this number or you do yeah, hit this don't, number. Don't unbind it. Yeah, because yeah, if you put some potions together, do you do it correctly? Because yeah. if you're going to end up, you know, it's narrative, but if somebody's going to have narratives each stuff, somebody's going to have more casters, more attempts to unbind, you're not going to get your stuff off, I think. Like, well, it was only ether monsters can unbind ether monsters. Oh, okay. Well, but there you go. With Fine. the 30 inch range, they were basically always in, so that just made it yeah. a dice off. Or maybe so, just get access to uh, a like a, a scroll or something like that once per game yeah maybe yeah you can stop one thing a game but I, I find that I, I feel like it was it just made it a little bit too much oh he's rolled an 11 I can't stop that or yeah or I've rolled a 10 but two he's, two he's dicey, basically. exactly two it's one. 2d6 against 2d6 to get this cool effect off that's part of the narrative I'll just say don't perhaps, unbind perhaps it. an unbind for Ethermy means it blows up at you and you take D3 mortal wounds but the spell still goes off something like that or you take a mortal wound if the yeah, other maybe. wizard is doing something yeah, it's true. so as a negative I you mean, still get your objective of casting those spells and I yeah. don't know I mean they'll do something different next they, year they but. just needed something So in terms, but really minor I think that's yeah. a really really minor piece of feedback all in all I think it's the best event I've done in 2018 wow cool strong yeah yeah, yeah, I was very, very well. disappointed to not be able to go, but um, I can't wait for Raw 19. When was it? The team event we did was also pretty cool. Blood Tide? Blood Tide. Was that January or February? Early doors. Yeah, was something. Like, that was also superb. Very <laughs> different, but I really enjoy team events. So Yeah. And, we and Six Nations. And Six Nations. Six Nations was It was absolutely good. dope, yeah. Um, it's a shame they didn't really fit into our meta conversation because it's just like, here's a new book, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It had no, well, it did have an impact on the meta in terms of command ability stacking, but apart from that, it was like, no, it no, like, don't do that. Here's the models things. that I have, and there's new rules for them, so have a great time. <laughs> right, yeah. should we sign off? Um, um, well, we're gonna go. We're gonna go to open in a sec, uh, but we're gonna leave the Sound Mouse Studios and go to a little interview. Halo that, Studios. Halo <laughs> Studios. We're Adam so, and yeah, I are going to go downstairs studios. into our own flat and cook dinner while you have a chat with Andy. That's true. Yeah. Uh, you're not invited to our little private chat. Uh, I don't so want to go on your private chat. <laughs> we'll be back in a minute with, with that interview. Hey, uh, welcome to Open Play. Uh, Instead of the other segments, uh, it's me and Andy in Andy's flat instead of the Soundmouse Studios. Uh, so no Adam and Alex in this segment, and it's just it's just me and Andy, and we're going to talk about um, Adepticon and conventions. So uh, thanks thanks for inviting me on, Matt. I guess um, the genesis of this uh, conversation really comes from the fact that um, I went to Adepticon for the first time last year. Um, I know you were talking about going this year and due to constraints you couldn't go, but I think both of us have had conversations around how to approach it. And I think with the um, with the bookings coming up and going live in the last few weeks, it was a worthwhile and timely conversation. Yeah, I'm, I'm just really interested in it as a thing, how they can, because I've got quite a lot of convention experience, but on the D&D &D side, not the Warhammer side. So 
it's something that we've not really seen in this country is something of that kind of scale where warhammer is the focus rather than board games or D being the focus so it's interesting that you know games workshop have such a presence in the states that they can run this kind of size thing yeah and i mean i've i've only been to it once and they've they've been running it for 10 years or more now so um i think it, i mean the, the hint is in the title it is i think the genesis of it comes from warhammer 40k but it's it's much bigger than that now and i think to your point i would say there's a very strong emphasis around tabletop more generally okay as opposed to role playing necessarily so you know very different from some of the big ones that you've spoken to me about that you've gone to so but it's definitely a different kind of feel compared to like essen or um any pax east or any of the big board gaming conventions it certainly sounds like it yeah yeah those you're just like the mostly demo people like fantasy flight turn up and they just have a massive event hall and they're all just demoing their games all the time the next year of games is all just out and everybody just sits around and waits for a table to be able to demo the brand new stuff so it doesn't sound like that's really the the way the Adepticon goes. No, it's not. I think it's, um, I mean, we'll, we'll step through it now. So I kind of um, tried to provide some structure to, to how um, I thought about it. So I, I kind of wanted to go through it in almost a chronological way in terms of what I did before and then my initial thoughts and, and the feel of it and then kind of my feedback as to the, the things I learned about the event afterwards. So if we touch on the, the preparation for it first, I guess there's there's three elements to it. Um, first of all, there's the kind of the extraneous bookings, if you like. So organizing your flights um, and accommodation. Yep. Um, I think from that perspective, obviously, the earlier you book the flights, the better, because they just get more expensive as you get close to the day. And while I don't think that there's enough people going from the UK to Chicago on a particular day, no. um, inevitably, you know, other people are going there as well. So. So that's worth getting it in. The hotel is a bit more tricky. I, you know, I would be a strong endorser of staying in the venue if you can, just because yeah. there's a lot of stuff to move around. And if you're if you're playing and moving armies around as well, um, there's there's a lot of kit to have, and it's it's a premium to stay there. And also, you have to be very nimble, um, because the hotel sells out pretty quick. Okay. Um, like to a point where once Adepticon announces the dates, it it's gone in days. Is wow. my is my understanding? Yeah, and like months until Adepticon tickets come on sale. Yeah, and, and yeah, it's sold out. That's so crazy. so people book their hotel long before they ever even get the opportunity to buy an event pass. Wow. The the event pass itself. I mean, you can even buy the event passes when you on the day when you're there. You can turn up on the Saturday and buy one. Yeah. That gets you access to to the. I mean, you can walk around the hotel anyway but it gives you access to demo games. I think people will look at you a bit squint if you don't have a pass hanging around your neck when you're there. Yeah, sure. Um, but it, it means you can experience the event with that. And that's, I, I, off the top of my head, I can't remember what the number is, but it, that's really cheap. Mm. And then there is the whole process of getting into the events themselves, whether it be um, AOS, 40K, you know, there's there's many, many events, doubles, um, there's the main GT championships, there's more narrative events and everything like that sure. and depending upon um the the mainstream nature of the event they just go right so the aos right. Sure. the aos weekender just goes in in hours if not if not minutes when People when they just buy up. it as they buy their main ticket yeah yeah so sure. and there's a whole strategy that i was blissfully ignorant of um in terms of like 
getting up at silly clock in the morning in the UK to, to be in the right time in the right time frame for when Chicago open up the tickets. Yeah, because that would be one a.m. or two a.m. or something. Yeah, it's something something in silly in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, I missed that because I I went with Geek Nation Tours, which is again I guess a bit of a plug, but they are very good. They've been going there for years. Um, and they guarantee you access. Well, they don't guarantee you access, but you get primary access to everything. So you get access to the event list before everyone else does. And that basically yeah. means you get your pick of events. That's kind of their selling point, really. It is, just, it is. They'll, they'll just make the whole experience really easy for you. Absolutely. And they do loads of extra privilege stuff as well. So in the evenings, you get dinners and you meet loads of people and stuff. So it's a for me, it was it was a great access point to reduce the stress of going there for the first time and really have a much easier experience. Yeah, sure. Um, it's it's not cheap by any stretch of the imagination, um, but I think if, if you can, it's a good way of doing it. Yeah, but it included hotel, right, as part of the convention. Yeah, so the so whole package is... seems a lot more reasonable. You, you stay you in that. the hotel, you get all your passes, you, you get a... Actually, I don't know whether they're guaranteeing the VIG bags anymore, which is something I'll get onto in terms of the, the setup of the event, but... Mm. Um, certainly you you get pretty much your pick of the bunch in terms of the events you want. I think with the benefit of hindsight, the strategy I took of the things I, I did, which I'll come back to, um, I probably didn't need that um, okay. because I wasn't doing the mainstream events. Sure. Um, but so certainly like if you want to do 40K and some yeah. novel stuff, then yeah, sure, you need to get on this to make sure that you actually get to do that stuff. Yeah, I think if you if you go in there for the first time and you booked your flights and you and well not your hotel because that would be through Geek Nation, but um, if you book your flights like months and months and months in advance and you really want to make sure you nail exactly what you want, it's a great way to do it. Yeah, sure, makes sense. Um, so I I guess that covers the the preparation for it. Um, to talk about timetable a little bit around that as well, um. You have to be, I spent probably the best part of three evenings just going through everything because even at the very, very start, there's like 400 events and you have to go through and eliminate all the stuff that you definitely don't want to do, like whatever, Flames of War or Surely 40K. There's, there's a search and a filter that you can... There is, but it's not that it's not that good because mm. some you might just miss something you want. And I yeah. was looking at all fact, the... I think I remember last year at D&D, you brought a massive printout yeah. of all of the possible <laughs> events and it was like 12 pages yeah, to yeah. actually be able to read it. Absolutely. Um, yeah. so, so it was like everything. And then I... Because I was looking for all the idiosyncratic hobby events. Mm. So it's very much kind of the, the balancing of those things. Um, so if we then if we then go on to um, the general feel of the event, it's in a massive convention hotel. Um, there are many kind of halls, if you like. So there's there's a massive room at the back, which is really split into three main areas. There's the AOS hall. Um, there's the and then there's the vendor hall next to that, which separates. You can walk through. That separates the AOS hall from the 40k hall. Okay. So all the 40k events happen in the 40k hall. Yeah, yeah. All the AOS stuff in the Shades Bar, for instance, and that that hall because AOS is just fundamentally smaller than the 40k. Yeah. Um, that hall also has all the X-wing and another peripheral okay. tabletop cool. stuff in there. I, I, excuse me for flaming, um, potentially flaming people who play X-wing and saying it's peripheral. Um, the vendor hall's quite good as well. It's got all the main manufacturers of board games, and you get of the of the tabletop miniatures and stuff like that. Mm. Um, and there's a lot of like if you if your thing is terrain, there's loads of terrain um, building stuff in there and things like that. And sure. demo games of various different things going on there as well. Okay. 
And then once you step away from those main halls, which are the most obvious part of the area, there's then loads of little convention rooms where they do a lot of hobby stuff. And then there's probably four or five other main halls that have got bolt action, um, flames of war, um, other tabletop stuff that's not Games Workshop. Um, that is also covered and then there's little corners here and there with with role-playing um, and other things as well so the, the whole area is is massive in, in that sense how big would you say the the actual like vendor support is compare it to something like London what's the London game salute salute that's I, one, I would yeah. I would say I would say it's probably smaller than Salute because Salute, okay. I think, is truly a dedicated vendor hmm. vendor environment. Yeah, that's why I thought it was a relatively fair comparison. Yeah, there's, there's probably... No at all Salute. I'd guess at 50 stands. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. Um, some of them, you know, being kind of, you know, four meter squares, right? Um, yeah. All the way up to slightly bigger things, but that, that, that kind of scale. Yeah. Um, the other thing I would say in the general feel of the event is just to go back and touch on the VIG, the very important gamer status. Um, basically, there are levels of pass that give you, in quotes, freebies, which you're mm -hmm. kind of paying for by, by buying, buying that level. And it goes all the way up to the top, which is VIG, um, which has been very hotly contested because you generally get a massive box of something. So last year it was um, Star Trek Ascendancy, the previous year, I think it was the big Room Wars box. Mm. Um, so you get that and a, just a whole bunch of freebies of different games and sets. You normally get a few miniatures in there, some paints and a lot and some So it's like a hundred pound board game and like yeah. a whole load of stuff. Yeah, that and I think crazy, the VIG is like a hundred dollars. So you're getting value for money mm. if you assume that everything you get, you want. Or you're willing to put in the time to sell it. In Indeed, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and I think if you're gonna go that way, which is great, I did it, and I've got a load of stuff stacked up, and you know we're, we're gonna still, play ascendancy. At we're some gonna point. play ascendancy at some point. Um, take an extra piece of luggage with you. Yeah, yeah like sure, literally, that is literally an, an entire easy. extra piece of luggage. You're definitely gonna need it if it's something like Rune Wars or standard coffin boxes, or, yeah. and you get a whole load of hardback books. It's gonna be absurd. You're not gonna be able to fit that at all. Yeah, so I took a piece of hard luggage, and then I took um, a big North Face expedition bag, canvas bag that you can just fold up. So I put it in my luggage on the way out, and on the way back, I filled it. I filled it with my stuff, and then Mitzi, um, who does um, has a YouTube channel with Jimbo, um, he, um, I can't remember which one it was now, but it was either sports or something, I think it was sports, but anyway, he won something in the AOS event, um, and the prize was a, um, a carry bag, which he had no, I mean, he had a bunch yeah, of other yeah. stuff as well. Yeah. You, you don't normally budget for a carry bag in your luggage, like a big um, battle foam one. Yeah, a big yeah, battle foam nice. bag. I think, so you can't even pretend it's a laptop case or anything. Indeed, yeah. Can't get it on. So, so he just, I just shoved that in my, um, in my, in my big expedition bag and mm. just carried and took it on the plane because it's so light, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's just the volume that's the killer, right? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, if you're going there and you're going there with a, on a mission, then take an extra bag. It sounds like that's definitely worth the worth the cost if you can like pay for the extra bag on the way back. It's yeah. a cool thing to. It is nice. I used to do the board game geek Secret Santa every year. I haven't actually joined it this year. I completely forgot. And just get you just get a random board game from some random person in the world, and it's quite nice to just get a completely random thing that you that you wouldn't have thought of otherwise. So it's nice that they're doing the same sort of thing. It's put a load of money. You'll get more than it's worth, but maybe they're trying to shift some of the stuff like that Room Wars box had been out for a really long time at that point, and maybe they've got a little bit of excess stock, but it's a great game. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the classic one that was in there that I did chuckle at is um, the yeah. 30th anniversary Space Marine miniature that just seems to be given away as a freebie in, almost, in loads of events. Like, it was a freebie at LGT. Oh, really? Um, because oh, they, they, they just made a load of them. I think you had to pay extra for your ticket, but it was in the, it was in the, it was in the equivalent of a Vig yeah, in it. LGT. They're okay. just kind of giving them away because I think they made a couple too many. Yeah. Because everyone wants a single sergeant, right? It's really useful yeah. in 40k. <laughs> sure. Well, you can spot one guy out and these are slightly different, but a space marine's a space marine. In, indeed. <laughs> indeed. So um, th- then I would go on to my kind of selection. So a lot of people who go there and certainly the uk community that went over there which was is pretty extensive now actually i mean i never struggled to find someone i knew if i was had some downtime um most of them i think go for the playing which is fair because the the playing events there are fantastic i mean the, the 40k is humongous yeah. there's some there's some great set piece um things that they do there as well and the aos event drags the great and the good from the us of the you know the, the the people on Twitter that you see producing amazing models and yeah, um, sure. and Brandon, Brandon and and Steve Herner yeah. and Tyler Mengel. You know the the list just goes yeah, on, right? Just... There's a whole bunch of the great and the good who who go there and produce yeah, amazing armies. Yeah. So um so there's a lot of playing that's done. But what I found when I went through the list, I went there with a view to do the hobby stuff because I can do playing events here in the UK. Yeah. But I can't get access to those really high-end modeling classes, basing and and scene setting and dioramas that, that you can get at places like Adepticon. So sure. that was well, my point there's of definitely focus. some people that you're not going to have access to here. Yeah. You might be able to pay for the same sort of classes at, G- at Games Workshop or something, but there's just a whole ton of people more in the yeah. States that you're just never going to have access to. So take the advantage and see them while you can actually see them yeah like one of the things they have there is um there's a bunch of convention rooms where they do a lot of the hobby like the painting classes and stuff and in the middle there there's like six or seven tables pushed together with um painting lamps on them Mm. and that 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 location is called fort wapple after um uh jim wapple um who's relatively famous in the u.s for doing loads of painting videos and being a huge sponsor of of painting in general and he hangs out there all weekend mm. and anyone who goes there you know that you just sit there painting which i never thought to do i must admit but at the risk of taking a bunch of paints and and brushes and going over there and doing it and kind of in quotes wasting time at a convention by just sitting there and painting I'm it's sure actually pretty cool yeah, right? yeah so um so there's a lot of people there that you have access to so that was my main point of focus and what i found was as I went through that 12-page list of all the different things that I could do, and I picked out all the hobby events, I had kind of three or four priorities that I really wanted to do. And what I found very quickly is because it's a convention and because they have access, the organizers have access to all the people all day, the playing events tend to be very spaced. So the AOS Weekender will start at 9 in the morning and go through to 7 o'clock at night and have like an hour and a half gap between each game. Okay. Which so means they can go to the vendor and whatever. means they can go to the vendor. It means they can walk the hall. It means they can go and chill out and have a beer. And it's a much more relaxed event. Which is nice. Which is great. But it also means if you want to do anything else on those days, you're pretty much dead. Right? So, sure. for instance, I had, there was a double class that I wanted to do that was on the Friday and Saturday. And if I wanted to do both classes, it basically killed Saturday and I couldn't do a gaming event. 
which which I was fine with because that was my focus. But there is that conflict in the timetable where if you go there and say, okay, I'm going to do the doubles on the Friday and the um, main GT on the Saturday and Sunday, that knocks out those three days for pretty much anything else other than socialising. Sure. Yeah, you you wouldn't want to do much else more because you're playing. You'd you be know, pretty five burned out. Plus three games of yeah. AOS, so not many of us want to then also go and do a painting class. Yeah, that's fair. And I th- but I think that that balance is there. I think what that segues into is the timetable in general and when you get there. Hmm. So I aim to get there on the Wednesday evening, which was which was fine. Um, there are a couple of things that happen on the Wednesday evening, but it really kicks off in earnest on the on the Thursday morning. Yeah, there's official events, right? It's not like yeah. some other conventions. They have an unofficial start on Wednesday where loads of like a Gen Con people just go to the pubs and each pub will run a different game because oh, wow, the convention cool. center isn't isn't open. So like Pathfinder will be at this pub. D&D 5e will be at this pub. Yeah, so it's, it's live. I think there's an opportunity... If you get there Wednesday morning, which if you're going from the UK will often mean actually Tuesday evening, um, I think the advantage you gain then is you get to be there for the setup. So if you various podcasts talk about going to Adepticon and being there for the setup and helping out, so you can just volunteer and hand out um, gift bags and you know okay. be seen to help out, or yeah, cool. you can go and set up tables for AOS, and that means you get to meet the AOS crew who are setting it up and things like that. Okay. So there is an advantage to doing that. The thing, if we then jump to the end of the event, the thing that struck me as quite interesting is while the gaming, the weekend gaming goes through until kind of four or five o'clock on the Sunday, mm-hmm. all the rest of the events, so all the kind of more hobby style events, mm-hmm. they all pretty much shut down after lunch. Okay. So by the time you get to two or maybe three o'clock, I would say, the whole thing's winding down. Sure. So I, I had a choice of flying on Sunday evening or Monday evening. And I went for Monday evening because I wanted to see the event all the way through. Yeah, sure. I think unless you've got a very specific diary clash because of the gaming, yeah. you could probably get away. But then with... you're booking your flights before you've seen the timetables. So, yes. Yeah, and th- and that's why I mention it because I think with the benefit of hindsight now, if I was doing hobby again as a, as a focus, yeah. I'd probably book my flight book on the Sunday there, yeah. with a reasonable degree of confidence that I'm not going to miss anything. Sure. Um, but those, I mean, the hobby events are pretty cool. You know, I, I sat down with a, one guy who's just like squirting bottles of paint at a at a, at a base, literally from like two feet away and um, getting his hairdryer out and then blowing on it and then getting a water spray and spraying it and stuff. So it's pretty, it's pretty random stuff that you see. Sure. Um, but it, it, it's also very, very cool. Um, and you just see stuff that you, you just, I don't, I think it's very hard to get access to that kind of, that quality here in the UK. Yeah, sure. Um, I guess that, that covers the hobby stuff. Um, I, I would then just jump into a couple of my experiences and feedback from the from the event in general, some of which I've, I guess I've already touched on as we've gone through that. Um, I did do the Shadespire event while I was there, which was which was um, just really a long, uh, it was a kind of a short day. So it started at lunchtime and went through to evening. That was, you know, that was very well run. It was great. It was um, actually run by the GW guys themselves. Um, David it was Stevenson. fairly new at that point as well. Wasn't yeah, it? yeah, it was It was pretty new. Um, the full set had only really, the full card set had only really just been available. Mm. It was actually run by David Stevenson, who's one of the rules writers for it. So that was pretty cool. Um, I think, you know, Playing is, is a commitment in and of itself, as, as we've already said. Um, my main focus was on the hobby stuff, but I, in, in terms of like I did some airbrushing and some basing classes and some composition stuff. 
Um, the one event really that stands out for me was a little bit random, but I would sincerely recommend it to anyone who likes tabletop games and, and is going there for the first time was the Space Hulk event, which is just off the charts cool. Yeah. Basically, there's a bunch of guys who've played Space Hulk for years and years and years and really fundamentally understand the mechanics of the game. Mm. Set up uh, an eight foot by four foot, may even be 10 foot actually by, by four foot um, 3D table of Space Hulk with multiple levels and elevators and stuff on it. And they put five teams on it, four Terminator, uh, sorry, six teams, four Terminator teams and two Death Watch teams. And you basically have to get to the middle of the table um, and kill something. And it's so finely balanced that they basically role play it. Yeah, okay. That makes so a lot of sense. so they, they pull back with the gene stealers when um when they feel they need to give you a little bit of space and they can basically fine tune it to to a point where you win or lose the game more or less on the last dice roll. Cool. And that is really cool. Yeah. Really, really cool. Um, just the way they do it and the pressure it builds and the like it's it's a true classic like reiteration of space hulk but on a grand scale it's kind of like three hours of game yes or, two and a half yeah. three hours that's really cool um of really like you're really focused it's, it's like proper it you're as you're as tired as the end of it as you would be from an aos game yeah sure. but an aos game where the last 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 dice roll in the fifth turn decides the winner yeah, and you're making the right decisions and telling narrative at the same time. Like it's a complicated thing to all be doing at the same time. Yeah, that sounds really cool. I was really interested in that if I was going to be going. And the and the last piece piece of advice I would give in closing really is just walk up to people and talk to them. Everyone there is mega friendly. There's loads of kind of internet personalities that you, you can meet there. But it's probably the only opportunity you'll have to really walk up to these yeah. guys and talk and to them. They're all nerds and they all want to. Absolutely, to to and they all love talking so. to people, right? Because they yeah, all yeah. just want to talk about their hobby and what they yeah. do and how they do it. There's a there's a bar in the venue which very often will have people from well all over, but there will typically be a table of UK people there um, that you can walk up to and just chat to and 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 recognise. Mm. Um, it's just and it's just a a great fun place to be. You'll be very tired at the end of it, but it's a it's a it's a great event. Sure. So why do you think Adepticon's been so successful? the convention it's i think that's a very good question i i think um i i guess they benefit from broadly speaking be in the middle of things right mm -hmm. they're not on the east coast and they're not on the west coast they're far from the middle of the u.s but sure. i think there's an amazing community up there people rave about wapaka as well um which is, which is not far from there i'm okay. not going to say exactly where it is but it's not yeah. far from there so the wapaka crew um tend to tend to do both um, it's it's a drive away in in US terms. Yeah, yeah. Let's put it that six way. hours or yeah. something. Yeah, nothing. <laughs> a mere ten hours. <laughs> um, I I have high hopes. Adep the way Adepticon falls is a bit tricky for me because it tends to fall in the Easter holidays or just after the Easter yeah, holidays. That's one of my issues. Um, which kind of kills the ability for me to go away with my my partner at the same time. Mm. Um, she's a she's a fine art lecturer, so she kind of has to observe turn times. Yeah. Um, the one that I have, and it also encroaches on my other main hobby, which is mountain biking, because the season's just starting to break down, and I'm normally yeah. itching to go up yeah, a mountain. If it was and like now, December, January, yeah. it'd be fine. Indeed, <laughs> and, uh, and and that's where I'm leading up to is I have high hopes because um, I spoke to the guys who organised the LVO, the Las yeah. Vegas Open, yeah, yeah. 
Um, and I have high hopes that that is fast catching up on Adepticon. Mm. And that's in mid to late January, yeah. which is very much my off season in terms of outdoor hobby. Yeah, that'd be cool. Um, it's a long way. It is, it is a long way, but it's Las Vegas. And I've been looking yeah, for an sure. excuse to go there for a long time. So, yeah, I've never been. Um, I've been a few times on the way to biking, funnily enough. Um, and it is a fun place, and I think it'd be I think it'd be a fun place to take a posse of yeah, a posse yeah. of hobbyists. That would be really cool. Um, so there's no Warhammer at that at the moment. At there all. is Warhammer there, oh, um, okay. so they have a they it's have a, a big Magic. It, it is big, the second biggest Magic tournament, isn't it? Yeah, I think it hinges off the Magic, yeah. um, but they're building up the AOS and the 40k. Oh, cool. um, GW went there for the first time officially this year, I think. Mm. Um, and a lot of the hobby kind of convention hobbyists um, that do seminars and stuff that I spoke to when I was at Adepticon are all West Coasters, and they okay. a lot of them are gearing up to do much more LVO stuff as well. So, you know, I, I would probably again err on the side of more hobby, less gaming. Sure. Um, I think the sweet spot for me there is find a doubles partner and take a thousand points. Yeah. Um, Play doubles and then do hobby seminars. Indeed. Yeah. Um, so that that's kind of where my head would go for an LVO, but I think it fits better for me to go there during term time for Joe, mm. um, in the middle of winter, so no biking, um, yeah. and it, it kind of it's it's slightly high season for me in terms of work, but I could probably get away with it once for a week. Yeah, it's not it's not too tricky, is it? No, that sounds that sounds really cool. Have to, well, what are they going to have to do to get to the level that Adepticon's at? I think I, I want to I want to look at the full event list this year. Mm. I, I'll probably get to Christmas time because it, it'll all be sold out and everything. But you'll be able to look at what's there, yeah, and and, and then get a real map of of what's available, and then and maybe take a view on twenty twenty. Yeah, it does. Well, we're nearly twenty nineteen now, so this has disappeared. Um, so for people who are who are thinking about doing the doing the gaming, I know you didn't do too much of it yourself, but. How actually good is the gaming tournament at Adepticon based on how you... How you there's, a, there's a lot of pretty serious players there. Yeah. I think <laughs> there were there were some incidents in the 40K this year at Adepticon. There's always incidents yeah, in 40K. Pretty, pretty high-end incidents, yeah. but we don't talk about that other than just to mention it in passing. Mm. Um, on the AOS side, I think um, people take their A game. Sure. Right, so there's going to be a bunch of people there who fundamentally want to go there and win the tournament. So there's yep. going to be some pretty racy guys there with some pretty determined lists to, yep. to go and win the event. Um, and there's also some pretty hardcore hobbyists there. And it is an event where display boards are important. Okay. So I know, is for instance... Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say they're massively loaded. And I think what they do is they actually have multiple... Because there's enough people there... They have multiple tiers of trophies, right? So I think they have a pure gaming trophy. Okay, yeah, sure. So they, I think they have so many. Like a general trophy. Yeah. yeah, easy 100. I think, yeah, I think it was, I think it may have even pushed close to 200 this year. Um, but they have, I think they have, I, I'm talking from distant memory here, but I think they have a true general's trophy. Yeah. And the sports and normally and stuff yeah. like that. But then I think they have um, a series of trophies, which is a combo as well. So they, they cater for cool. all comers in, in the same yeah, that's a really good way of doing it, I've, I've thought. Uh, but they don't play scenery dice or something, do they? Some um, I don't know whether they did at the AOS at Adepticon, but I know in general the American meta doesn't use mysterious terrain. It's really odd. Which, is, which I agree it's is a, a little bit bizarre. Thing. It's such a, such a what are you doing? fun element of the game that no, I, don't, I don't think breaks just, it. 
Yeah, I mean, admittedly, iOS 2 has got rid of some of the like major impactful things like mystical and deadly from what they used to be. Yeah. But yeah, so now, why not? Why and, not I'd like to hope it was there. I haven't looked at the packs yet. I would imagine they're out by now. And yeah, I think Gon- Gonzalez is probably, pretty probably pretty up on those them. things. But um, but that's definitely worth looking out for. So if you're going there and and you and you don't want to feel kind of left out, mm. then taking a uh, you know some kind of transportable display board is probably worthwhile yeah. um i saw different extremes of it from the uk crew last year this year mm-hmm. last time around um byron who was shipping stuff anyway there um he shipped a load of guild ball stuff that was in the vig sure. um which i've got stacked in my room yeah. spare room um so he w- he shipped a pallet anyway from a from a manufacturer's perspective, yeah. and he stuck his display board in the middle of that pallet and packed packed Gilball around the outside of it with yeah, a with yeah. a lot of firm, um, all the way through to people taking broken down much more two D just something yeah. that's there dinner tray dinner you know posh dinner tray yeah. shall we say um, I think if you if you wanted to go there to really compete, you're going to have to push the boat out because there's some pretty serious guys who are nearby who are taking like two foot tall display boards. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a bit mad, isn't it? So it's you know I think I think if you wanted to go and, and wanted to take part, then mm-hmm. it's worth you need to show willing. Okay. I think if you really want to compete, it's a whole different thing. And yeah. I'd almost go as far as to say go there once, mm-hmm. see what the competition is like, and yeah. then and then spend the time to in quotes do it properly. Yeah, fair enough. Because I think you're going to need a lot of thought, not just to get the right stuff there, but to plan it so that you can ship it. Sure. That sounds really good. Uh, any closing statements? <laughs> um, only that it was the first time I've ever been to a con. I know you've done a lot on the role-playing side. It was a fantastic experience. It's mm-hmm. one that I will do sparingly because it does eat into holiday time and, and I'm a yeah. I'm a committed hobbyist but that is a and it is an extra level of commitment you, to do. When you live in that country they're a lot easier. Yeah. But it is you know, people do pilgrimages to mm. um Nottingham. To Nottingham. I would yeah. say Adepticon or something similar is a pilgrimage and it should be seen in that light. Yeah. No, I'm still really tempted to do it. Well, we'll sign off here then. Um, and we'll see everybody next time. Cool. Thanks very much for coming on, Andy. Cheers, guys. Cool. So we just want to sign off with saying a big thank you for your support throughout um, our launch in 2018. Um, We're nearly 10 episodes in now. I know. Um, this is going to be our last episode um, for the year. We will be back early doors 2019 with some really fantastic content. Um, I know from 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 my part, um, we're starting cycle two of the Necromunda campaign this coming. Uh, well, as we record this coming Sunday. Yeah. Um, cool. Actually, so, when you listen to this, we will probably have just yeah played re- the first few games of cycle two of Necromunda. Exactly, it'll be release day for this episode. So. Um, I re- I personally really look forward to giving you guys an update um, on that in, in early January but also uh, well we, we're coming to the conclusion of D&D in January as well yeah this current D&D campaign is going to come to a close uh, first weekend of January yeah right? so we have one more session in London at uh, Shay, Matt and Heather um, and then we're heading up <laughs> yeah. to um, just after Castle Ravenloft <laughs> to Castle Ravenloft itself Butcher's Barn Butcher's Barn <laughs> in, in uh, New York yeah. uh, for Andy's place for a weekend of rounding off the curse of Strahd and there are some 
well, probably some su- surprise reveals within that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that that's going to be really good fun. So hopefully we can record that weekend or something. Yeah, we can uh, also do an on-location episode. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think early next early next year we're also going to be looking at covering uh, our team events that we've got coming up in February and, and is the one in March. Yeah, yeah. so we're going to do Blood Tithe, which Mark Wilson's running, um, yep. and was awesome in 2018. It was the first time he's running it, so I'm excited to see how that developed. Uh, and the second one is the um, is it Ulster Warlords? Ulster Warlords, um, yeah, over so in over in, um, in Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we're gonna head over to that and um, smash everyone's faces in because that's what Smash Play is about. Yeah, and your war Yeah, lads, lads, lads. Yeah, so thanks for listening. Yeah, yeah there's going to be a ton of content in the new year. I think it'll be really good. We'll get episode ten out pretty soon, which is going to be exciting. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, possibly and, um, with some new branding. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Totally, yeah, totally. So exciting times coming in Angelcast land. And I think in the meantime, <laughs> which is a website that we now own, angelcastland.com. Angel I'm going to try and buy that domain on my phone right now. <laughs> um, and I think the most important thing to say finally is a very Merry Christmas to you all and yeah. a very Happy New Year. And we wish you all the best. Thanks again for your support. Happy Kwanzaa. Yeah. <laughs> and Hanukkah and non-denominational things. Happy so holidays. Like, have a nice there you time. go, Alex. Have Happy nice holidays. Time. Yeah. And um, have a nice time. as usual, please rate and comment and share, and we will see you in 2019. Awesome. Bye, guys.